full, happy lives. I wish God's blessing upon each and every one of you, and we look forward to seeing you next Wednesday at 3 o'clock. This is Dr. Donald. This is KCAA Loma Linda, the station that leaves no listener behind. CNBC News is next, a courtesy of BuySellMakeOffer.com, where you can post a video about items you have for sale. Sign up now. It's free. Down 162 points. The Nasdaq down 40. Oil prices plunging again, closing below $41 a barrel, a six-and-a-half-year low. That's after stockpiles of crude rose again last week unexpectedly. Inflation is in check. Consumer prices rose in July, but only by half as much as economists forecast. And the last of six company executives at coal cleaner Freedom Industries, charged in a West Virginia chemical spill that contaminated drinking water for hundreds of thousands of state residents, pleaded guilty today to pollution charges and could face three years in prison. I'm Tom Busby, CNBC Radio. Have you had trouble with online dating? This is eHarmony founder Dr. Neil Clark Warren. We've created a new solution, EH+. EH Plus combines the personal attention of a matchmaker with eHarmony's extensive pool of great singles. EH Plus gives you hand-selected matches and freedom from being online. Get started today. Call 855-930-LOVE. That's 855-930-LOVE. Today, more than ever, Americans need a means to protect their life savings. Birch Gold Group offers peace of mind for your nest egg through a rollover to an IRA backed by physical gold. Take advantage of the long-term stability that gold provides by investing in a gold IRA from Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialist. Call Birch Gold Group today at 888-999-5191 and receive their free information kit on gold. Call 888-999-5191. That's 888-999-5191. Consider this your invitation to sell. At buysellmakeoffer.com, you can sell as much as you want for the next 60 days without paying any fees whatsoever. Sound incredible? It is, and it's true. Buysellmakeoffer.com is the new exciting way to sell your stuff online. Make extra money right now. Sell your old car, furniture, video games, household items, clothes, even your home. Sell anything that's legal. Load up your stuff to sell right now at buysellmakeoffer.com. This is your official invitation to get on board to sell your stuff right now. Free for the next 60 days. And once you see how easy it is, you'll want to sign up for more because there are no item fees. That's right. Take this opportunity to move items from the other guys and sell it for free. You might even win a Samsung tablet, Amazon gift cards, and other cool prizes. Buy, sell, makeoffer.com is the future of online selling. You can use Skype to talk to your buyer or seller. Plus, you can use video to showcase your items. Buy, sell, makeoffer.com. Good afternoon. It's a couple of minutes past the hour. I'm Successful Brim with the latest in local news on KCAA 1050 AM. A marathon public hearing on the proposed World Logistics Center is drawing some heated comments. The city council is weighing the prospect of more jobs and an improved economic climate versus the likelihood of more traffic congestion and the degradation of air quality from diesel suit generated by trucks. The mega warehousing project will cover over 3,800 acres in the eastern portion of the city. The World Logistics Center would face a change in the certain elements of the city's general plan that currently exists for community developments, parks, recreation, open space, traffic, public safety, and conservation. The hearing is expected to continue tonight. And unauthorized drones flying near wildfires have become an increasing problem for firefighters, according to the statements from several officials during a state hearing yesterday in Sacramento. Lawmakers are discussing ways to ground drones that interfere with aerial firefighting. In the inland area, the unauthorized civilian use of unmanned aerial drones delayed firefighters from extinguishing at least three of this year's wild forest fires. Altogether, more than a dozen unauthorized aircraft have entered fire zones this summer, according to Cal Fire Director Ken Pimlot. Inland Empire weather, sunny highs near the lower 90s, lows tonight about 62. Currently, it's 91 degrees in San Bernardino. That's the latest in local news. I'm Successful Brim on KCAA 1050 AM. This report is brought to you by the American Association for Cancer Research. The American Association for Cancer Research 
finding cures together. Please support cancer research by donating today at www.aacrfoundation.org. Like to spend a few days in another world? Then write this down. Golden Bear Cottages, Big Bear Lake. Now, listen, this is not some corporate-owned operation. It's family-owned and operated by some real nice people. Unique? Oh, you bet. Golden Bear Cottages features 28 one-of-a-kind cabins on a five-acre historic site. Great for families, couples, and groups. And cabins are available with one to seven bedrooms. Golden Bear Cottages is just a stone throw from Big Bear Lake and super close to three great ski areas. Now, I could go on all day about Golden Bear Cottages in Big Bear, but to see everything, just go to goldenbear.net. Again, goldenbear.net. Golden Bear Cottages in Big Bear. Clean, comfortable, and affordable. Check them out. Goldenbear.net. Like to spend a few days in another world? Then write this down. Welcome to the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. I'm happy to have you here. We are on every Wednesday. We talk about men's issues only. Uh, sometimes we're talking about men's rights. I like to talk and support um, family law and alimony reform. And today we're going to touch upon uh, men's rights as well, which is, you know, this is an election year and women... Um, always come come to the forefront during an election year because of Roe versus Wade, and they want to wave their hands in the air, saying, you know, how it's uh, you know it's a woman's body. We should have rights to our body. We should have freedom of choice. And I am all for pro-choice. Believe me, I don't want Roe versus Wade overturned. I think we should have choice. But that being said. Um, we always hear in the news about a woman's body and all the rights that women have with their bodies for reproduction, but we don't hear of men's bodies. So we're going to speak a little bit to that today. Um, the topic today is vasectomies, to snip or not to snip. So I'm going to have my um, esteemed guest on. His name is Dr. Moez uh, Corsandi. You can find him in downtown Los Angeles. He's a little bit uh, west of the 110 freeway. So before I get into that, I just wanted to regroup with, uh, if, in case you missed last week's show, we were talking about um, a mom who breastfed her three-year-old son and is this okay? And it got a lot of uh, traffic and, you know, people are on complete opposite sides of the fence with that topic. It was uh, a really good topic. Um, you know, as the dad, do you feel left out? Is your wife ignoring you? Are you being replaced by your son? All kinds of issues came up. And my guest um, for, for last week was a man who was who was exactly in this position. So if you missed last week's show, no problem. You can uh, watch, uh, you can uh, listen to me on demand or live at any time, either through the KCAA uh, radio uh, website or at on the TuneIn app. So um, the best place to find me with all of these issues, program issues, the links, let's say you're driving in the car, Linda talked about this, oops, I missed it, what was she saying, what was that link, what was that reference, all of those types of things I always put on my Facebook fan page. So you'll want to join and uh, be uh, and, and, and like my page if you haven't already. That page is the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. So um, that's on Facebook. Um, 
All right. So anyway, today's topic is very juicy. It's uh, on vasectomies. And there are so many, uh, so many of the states and so many of the doctors have all kinds of requirements that they want the man to jump through, all, all kinds of uh, hoops that they want the man to jump through to be even eligible for a vasectomy. You know, with a woman, if a woman wants to do tubal ligate, ligation, which is sterilization, or if she wants to get an abortion, there's no questions asked. She doesn't have to ask her partner. Boom, snip, snip, away you go. I mean, it's just all handled. And oftentimes, uh, you know, with regard to abort, to abort or not to abort, the men has no rights whatsoever. He has no say-so. In other words, if the woman wants to abort the baby and the man wants to be the father, there is no recourse for that. It's, you know, the women, the women win on that issue. So I'm hoping at one day in the future, um, you know, the technology is, is not there yet, but I'm hoping that these types of women can transfer the fetus into, you know, another into another woman. Right now that technology is not there because once you cut the cord, you know, the baby loses oxygen and that's the end of that. The baby is the fetus is done. So, but who knows, you know, every year, every decade they make new strides in technology and that might be um, a viable uh, trait later on. Okay, so before we get into um, the the vasectomy issue, um, as we're waiting for my guest, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Colorado's very successful uh, birth plan. So the highest risk for teenage pregnancy are, are for those who are teenagers and poor. So what Colorado decided decided to do is they decided to adopt a plan and give out free IUDs. An IUD is an intrauterine device. It kind of looks like a, a T, um, and sometimes it's made with copper, sometimes it's made with other plastics. Basically, what that does is that prevents the sperm from fertilizing the egg. So anyway, Colorado embarked on this six-year program to distribute these reversible contraceptives. Reversible means you can take the contraceptive out um, at a later point in time. If you don't take it out, the contraceptive will last about five to ten years. Um, so these IUDs are implanted. They're, they gave them to free. They gave them free to women who are at risk, meaning the poor and the teenagers. Um, and they had a very successful um, uh, birth rate fall of 40 percent thanks to this contraceptive program. So. I am so endorsing this program because I have always felt that that uh, pregnancy and childbirth should occur when the person is when the when the couple is mature and and an adult. And actually, our, our brains do not mature until the age 25. So if you have a teen pregnancy, not only are you ill-equipped to deal with that, Oftentimes, you have to drop out of school. For certain, you have to delay your career goals or your post-school um, post educational goals to have this baby. But, you know, you're not equipped to make adult decisions. So why are you bringing a child into this earth, onto this earth, you know, without doing that? So it's been my contention that wouldn't it be great to um, have, have a program in place where the the uh, birthright is delayed, is delayed until age 25 or until you can prove that you have the money to raise a child or you already have the education to, uh, to raise the child, meaning you've already graduated um, from, from college or what have you. I think that's really the way to go. So I am thrilled to hear that Colorado's birth rate dropped by 40% by enacting this pregnancy, I mean, in enacting this uh, program. They say that an estimated 37% of all pregnancies in the U.S. are unintended. Wow. So what does that do when we intend 
to have birth control. Apparently, according to this study, um, it not only prevented teen births, but it affected 10 different factors of our economy. Uh, all the way around, the economy rose because, again, the ki kids are finishing their schooling. Um, they're trying to get good jobs. They're, they have a lot more uh, liberties that are open to them and resources that are open to them if they are not bound by having uh, this little infant, you know, uh, to take care of. So, um, yeah, so a lot of areas in the economy were affected. Uh, housing, the job market, the unemployment rate went down, all kinds of factors which I just have to jump for joy and really rejoice in Colorado's test study. I hope that it spills over to other states because I think that it's uh, absolutely well worth it. All right, let's take a quick break right now, and uh, we'll be back at you in a few minutes. You're listening to The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. Do you like cars, racing, adventure and speed, motorsports of any kind? If it has speed, high performance, or burns octane, there's a brand new show for you. Do you have 1030 weight in your blood, or are you running on 104 performance octane? Then gear up for a brand new show on KCAA called Gotcha Racing. Tune in Saturdays at 4 p.m. with host Joe Britt for news, interviews, and all kinds of stuff you can use about racing and the automotive world. Whether it's learning how to put spark plugs in or spark up your supercharger, Joe's got the answer for you. Ready, buddy? Ready? All right, Get it Gotcha Racing. Find out how Joe built the Stallion GT1 exotic sports car or hear the area's best experts on automotive questions. It's Gotcha Racing, right here, where we put you in the driver's seat and it doesn't stop till you cross the finish line. Saturdays at 4 p.m. right here on KCAA. It's Gotcha Racing. Well, see you later. Come on, guys, let's go. You've heard her on the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. How can you help further? From her Facebook fan page of the same name, hit the Shop Now button and save this link to your favorites. Make all your usual Amazon purchases, and some of the revenue will support her show at no additional cost to you. No book purchases required. Just start with this link each time. The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross thanks you. Hey guys, want to go from cocky and confused to confident in four sessions or less? Linda Gross has done the research by interviewing 20,000 men. Reap the benefits. Go to themensadvocate.com slash coaching and you'll be on your way. Now back to the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross on KCAA 1050 AM, where men can be men. Welcome back to the Men's Advocate Show. Today our topic is vasectomies, to snip or to not snip. So uh, during my research on this topic, I found that a lot of states and a lot of doctors have hoops that the men have to go through in order to get a vasectomy. Is this a double standard? I think it is. Women don't have to get permission or have go through any extra hoops to get a tubal ligation, which is sterilization, or to get an abortion. So I'm not really sure why the standards are so strict for men, but here are some of the, uh, the options that men have to go through to get one done. So... Um, just like some doctors won't perform abortions, I guess there are some doctors who won't perform vasectomies. Sometimes it's according to state law, and sometimes it's at the discretion of the doctor, him or herself. So you just have to be, like, really careful. So some of the, the doctors, they want you to uh, have at least three kids before you have a vasectomy. I find that kind of strange. Uh, usually guys know whether they want kids or not. Um, they shouldn't be made to be this scoundrel in society for not having kids. Um, I think it's a blessing if you know that you're not equipped or you don't want to have kids. I think it's a blessing to know that. And, you know, your wishes should be fulfilled to that degree. I mean, they don't tell women before they sterilize women, oh, sorry, we cannot snip the, you know, cord. we cannot snip the tube unless you have three kids. They don't say that to women. So I don't find it fair. 
Um, another thing is some of them, some docs won't do it unless they send you to six weeks of counseling. Really? Um, did they send the woman to six weeks of counseling before she decided to get pregnant? or before she decided to have unprotected sex, really? I mean, if, if fair is fair, if we're going to enact this law, we should, we should have uh, women, you know, fess up to the same thing. So anyway, if you are hot and bothered about this topic, I would love to hear from you. My call-in number is 888-909-1050. That's 888-909-1050. Okay, let's carry on. Under Virginia law, a patient was required to wait one month to have the procedure because the patient didn't have any current children. And then he had to sign a waiver saying that he was now aware that the procedure would be delayed for 30 days. Hmm. Again, there's no counter law for women who have to do this. So I find it kind of ridiculous that there's all these different laws and procedures in place. Um, some states and some doctors require you to get a spouse's signature in order to have a vasectomy. This is crazy. What happens if you're not even married? Um, then you have to get your partner's signature. I mean, she might not even be your partner, you know, a lifelong partner, but you have to get your partner's signature or your wife's signature. Kind of crazy to me. What do you think about this, guys? Um, I hope you're dialing your phones now because I would love to hear from you. For those guys who cannot um, dial, maybe you're in the car or what have you, you're welcome to post on my Facebook wall on my fan page, which is the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. Or if you're too shy to post it on the wall, just send me a private message. I'll see it. I'll, I'll read it. We'll, we'll talk about it. Also, men have zero rights on the abortion issue. I mentioned that a little earlier, um, whether she wants to get an abortion or, or not, men have zero say-so with regard to that. So I wanted, to, um, I, I wanted to inform you of some other men who have got a vasectomy, what do they do? Like how are they successful and how do they bypass some of these ridiculous, ridiculous rules and regulations? So Basically, what, what one, one person, what gentleman was saying is that don't volunteer any information. Don't say you're married. Don't say you have kids. Don't say you have a girlfriend. Don't say you're a player. Don't volunteer any information. Just answer yes or no to whatever questions are posed to you and make it simple as possible. Basically, you don't want to give them any reason for an objection. So his advice was, you know, one of the questions that he got posed was, do you have all the children that you and your wife want? And he just said yes. Now, I don't even know if this person is married or not married, but he just said yes to that question. Is your wife having a problem pregnancy? And his answer was no. Do you understand that this surgery is not reversible? His answer was yes. Is your wife okay with the decision? His answer was yes. Now, I don't know how truthful some of these answers were, but apparently he knew to not open his mouth. Just go with the flow. Don't give the doctor's office any reason for objection and just, you know, go with what, whatever is easy to get the procedure. So it turns out about 1 in 10 Americans choose not to have children. That number is uh, doubly so in Europe. About 1 in 5 Europeans do, want to, uh, do not want to have children. So anyway, um, I don't know why that would be. I think uh, uh, Europeans think more about the society at large. They think about finances as to whether I can afford this kid. Can I educate this kid? Can I put them through college? Uh, they think about what their monthly budget is and whether they can afford a child. They think about uh, relatives. Is there enough of a support system to raise this child? Meaning that if mother works, is there enough of a, of, you know, is there grandma? 
or sister or aunt or uncle or someone that can watch the child during working hours. I think they really put a lot of thought into it, and that's why twice as many Europeans choose not to have children as do Americans. So I think that's an interesting point. I think we should be conscious of it. Yes, our bodies are biologically pre-programmed to pop out a kid. But just because that's the case, by pop out a kid, I mean for women, our DNA, our biology, our biology is meant to produce children. But just because that's the case doesn't mean we should. That Those are our animal drives. And it doesn't mean we need to stay in our animal drives. I mean, some of these questions that the Europeans toss around, that's using human cognitive ability. That's thinking for the future, delaying gratification, and making sure that the, that the timing is right, that your partner is right. You know, a lot of times women just spread their legs for goodness knows what partner. I mean, they they absolutely are not well suited toward each other. So why are you having a baby with somebody who's not who's ill suited to be a life partner and a father to this child? It really kind of makes no sense whatsoever. So we need to get out of our animal drives and get more in touch with our with our human cognitive ability and to have reason and logic and purpose behind our decisions. Because our decisions not only affect us as the parent, but you're bringing in this innocent child to the world, and of course it affects the child. So, I mean, that's the loser in all of this. That's the loser in this horrendous rate of 37% um, unintended pregnancies in the United States. 37%, that's one in three pe- more than one in three people um, just have sex for whatever reason and are not uh, entertaining the consequences whatsoever. It's just a... He's here? Oh, Awesome. Okay, so um, it turns out our guest is here. I'd like to welcome Dr. Moaz Korsandi. He is a urologist, and he will be talking about this vasectomy um, question with us. Uh, you can find him on Wilshire Boulevard in downtown Los Angeles. He is just west of the 110 freeway. He happens to have a five-star rating on health grades. Dr. Korsandi, welcome aboard. Hi, Linda. How are you doing? Awesome. How are you doing today? Oh, good, good. Good. I was just giving our audience a recap on um, how how other states and some doctors, sometimes it's according to the law, the state law, sometimes it's according to doctor discretion, how Uh they put the, the guy through a lot of hoops in order to get a vasectomy. And I'll just briefly summarize those for you again. Some docs won't do it unless you've You've already had three kids. Some won't do it unless you've had six weeks of counseling. Somehow, like Virginia law has a wait uh, requirement where you have to wait one month and sign a waiver that you acknowledge that you have to wait 30 days in order to get a vasectomy. Um, some, Some states require that you get your spouse's signature for a procedure. I mean, it's just kind of all for the birds. You know, we, you know, with every election year, we always have women raising their hands, making a lot of noise with regard to the abortion issue. And I'm all for pro-choice. But guess what? Women don't have to go through any of these things. If women decide to do tubal ligation, which is sterilization, or to get an abortion, they don't need any of these things. So what's your position on this? Well, that is true. Um, you know, we, I, I, everything you said is, is true. I do see that in clinical practice. Um, I don't really make my patients jump through a lot of hoops. In the state of California, there is a cool-down period. Uh, I believe it's both for men and women. It's a 30-day cool-down period. You can waive your right to a three-day period, but you can't go less than three days. Uh, generally, I stick to the, to the 30-day rule. Uh, why? You know, a lot of it is just uh, to make sure the patient really, really wants to do it. But after the 30 days, I don't really uh, have them bring in their wife. It doesn't really make a difference if the spouse agrees or doesn't agree. I don't know about other states, but over here, as long as you're of, of age to consent, you can do the procedure, whether your spouse or girlfriend or anybody else wants it or doesn't want it. 
So from a legal standpoint, that's a non-issue. I think it, some doctors worry about that because if you do the vasectomy and the husband or boyfriend and the, and the wife is not happy or did not consent, the patient won't come after you, but they're worried the spouse may file a lawsuit and come after you. And even though there's really no good defense on their side, it's still, you know, it's not a, a good, or not a good uh, experience to go through. So I think they're just trying to limit any kind of potential exposure. I've never had that problem. I, mean, I do a lot, a lot of vasectomies. And for the most part, when patients come in and they're ready for it, uh, I'm okay doing it. You did bring up some good points, though, Linda, that you were saying, you know, if patients, uh, if they've had one kid or no kid, they're super young, you know, there's really no right or wrong as to who should get one, who shouldn't get one. And if if a patient sees a certain urologist, that urologist may say, you know what, I want you to do this, this, and this before I do it. And if they see the next urologist, you may say, no problem, let's go ahead and just do it. So a lot of it is urologist-dependent as to whether or not they want to do the vasectomy or not. And I think it all comes down to your comfort level as to do you think this person really does not want to have kids or are they going to have, like, getting a tattoo? They're going to regret it three, four, five years from now and want to have a kid because the procedure, as you know, is permanent. And to undo the procedure is very costly, not covered with insurance, and it doesn't guarantee that they're going to have a child if they do reverse the, the procedure. And so for me personally, when I see patients, um, unless they're very, very young, I think there's only two people I did not do it because they were around 20 years old. They had no kids. And both of them were living with older women, their late 20s who had kids. And I just didn't think, you know, I was 20 once, and I was a male 20-year-old, and I know what it's like to be at that age. He's going to change a lot between 20 and 30. And so I don't want him to have any regrets down the road because once you do the vasectomy, again, it's, it's considered to be permanent. The other issue is that you can technically reverse it, and, yes, you can have children again. But the longer it is from the time of vasectomy to the time of reversal markedly decreases your chance of having a kid. And so if you're 20 and you decide to reverse it when you're 30, that's a 10-year span. Once you get above 8 years, it is very difficult to have a child. And even after 12 years, it goes down even more. That's because we develop antibodies to the sperm, which makes it more difficult to have a child because the sperm become essentially dysfunctional. Uh, we develop antibodies that attack the sperm. So even though we can reconnect the twos with microscopes and we can have sperm present again, that doesn't mean that those, that those sperm, the quality of that sperm, is going to be sufficient enough to have a pregnancy. So uh, outside of that, if I get a young person in and they don't want to have a kid, unless they're you know, 18, 19, 20, I probably wouldn't do it. Now, legally, I could do it. I'm not going to get in trouble. Uh, you know, if they decide to sue later, it would never pan out to anything, I would win the case. But, you know, in my heart, you want to do what you think is right for that kid. But that's my personal choice. I have some people, like you said, some of my friends, unless they've had three kids or they're above 30 and all these requirements. But that's not a legal thing. That's more of a, a doctor thing. You'll find somebody to do it. The question is, is who's going to want to do it? That's the big question. So as far as you know, uh, unlike Virginia, for example, that I just read, California doesn't have any vasectomy requirements per state law. So it's a case-by-case on whatever the doctor feels comfortable with? Yeah, there's no requirements. There's nothing that says you have to do this person or that person. It's all your clinical judgment. And as long as they're of you know, competent mind and their age of consent, 18, then there's nothing anybody can do about it. Wow. Now, why do you think, uh, like in some states, they, they make you wait, go through six weeks of counseling? I mean, if that's the case, and supposedly we live in a day and age of equal rights and women are equal and all this kind of stuff, why don't they send women to six weeks of uh, counseling if you're going to have unprotected sex? I mean, come on, fair is fair. It should be equal for both sexes. Yeah, that's a great question. They don't, they don't uh, require that. And, um, you know, if a man wants to get it done, you're right. Some places do require, you know, I used to work at another facility, at an HMO facility, where they didn't require that they go to counseling, but it was strongly, strongly recommended. And I think it's just uh, just being overcautious. It's not something that's required by law, at least in this state. And so I think they're just making go through hoops. And I think, again, it comes down to the comfort level of it being so permanent that it can drastically change your life in terms of having kids, that they want to be 100% sure that that patient is 100% sure he wants to have no more kids in the future. And, of right. course, nothing's 100%. You know, what I don't want today I may want tomorrow, 
And I see it all the time where patients come in, they've had a vasectomy from, from other people, and now it's 8, 10, 15 years later. They've been divorced, which is a classic case. They meet somebody way younger. They all want kids, and now he wants to reverse it. And so we try to reverse it, but then, you know, the insurance doesn't cover it, so now they have to pay out of pocket. Most of them can't afford it, so that it stops right there. And so they want to be sure that the patient is sure, and I think that's where it comes down to. Now, how, you know, everybody's different in terms of urologists, of what's your comfort level of, of how sure you are that patient wants it. But as long as the patient tells me I want it, and I can tell that he wants it, and I ask him how long you've been thinking about it, and he has no qualms about it, if he's very comfortable with it, and his body language shows he's comfortable with it, I would go ahead. I've seen patients come in with their wives or girlfriends, and, you know, the wives are actually saying, you know, we need a vasectomy. We've had, you know, one, two, three kids. It's just too much. We need it. And I can see with the husband that he's not totally into it in getting a vasectomy. And he's just there just to please her to stop all the, the screaming and nagging and fighting at home. So if I sense that, I won't do it. I've had two of those cases where I did not do it because I didn't feel comfortable that he actually wanted to have a vasectomy. And, uh, and that leads to another point is that if you do a vasectomy to these patients who, who don't really want to have a vasectomy, the post-operative problems uh, are much, much uh, more than if they wanted it. So now they're more in tune with, you know, I'm having pain or this is more uncomfortable or my erections are not the same as what it was before. And we believe, and we tell patients this, that we believe that that's all psychosomatic. There's no reason why you can't have normal sex, normal sensation, because we're not altering that at all. We're just basically shutting off the plumbing. That's it. And so if I feel that a patient's not ready for it, I won't do it because obviously they're not ready for it, but also because after surgery, after you do the procedure, they're, gonna, they're potentially going to have some increased complaints because they really didn't want to do it in the first place. Right. So they're, they're hes- the males are hesitant, not because as a contraceptive um, you know, transaction, but they're hesitant because they're fearful that they're going to have some physical you know, uh, downtime or, or, or pain or sensitivity or yeah. loss of libido. They're, they're, they're worried from a physical sense. Is that what you're saying? Not necessarily yeah. that they're opposed to this method of contraception. Absolutely. That's exactly right. And, and patients who actually, and men who mm-hmm. actually want the procedure and are like, I'm so done with kids, uh, yeah. they don't really care about all that. You know, because the overall risk of all those things we talked about, having <laughs> pain and bleeding and everything, is so small that, you know, you can, you can just see it in their eyes. They're like, no, that's okay. I'm, you know, they say, I'm worried about it, I'm nervous about it, but that doesn't bother me. Let's, let's get it done. We need to get this done. And then, you right. know, you can just tell they want to get it done. You bring up a wonderful point that I didn't know before, that the reversal is so much, uh, you know, your chance of um, reversing it decreases with the longer amount of time from the original procedure to the, till the reversal procedure. That was a very good point. I didn't know that. So, you know, you're right. Somebody who comes in their early 20s, that, that, might, that male mindset might be completely different by the time he's in his low 30s. So, yeah, yeah that's something sure. to consider. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the issues that men are extremely fearful about and let's address them one by one because I know a lot of guys like the idea of using this as a contraceptive method but they're just so fearful with, you know, complications and downtime and sensitivity. Sensitivity Does it hurt? So let's uh, examine some of those areas. Well, the procedure is fairly straightforward and all we're really doing is just stopping the sperm from coming out through the ejaculatory duct, but we don't alter the hormones at all. And so how the erections are, their libido, their sex drive before the procedure and after the procedure will remain unchanged. The only difference being is that when they ejaculate, there will be no sperm in the fluid coming out. There's still fluid coming out, but unless you examine it under the microscope, you couldn't tell the difference. The only difference being is that now there's no sperm. It's basically just uh, fructose. It's basically sugar water that's coming out. The, so, the so to them, the ejaculate would look pretty much the same amount as a normal one, right? Yes. Maybe the volume might be a little bit less, but it's, the decrease is so small that they wouldn't really notice it. So for all intents and purposes, it'd be about the same. It's really going to okay. be unchanged. The sensation going to be unchanged. Those are different nerve roots. Again, we're not affecting that. So the erections, whether it's good or bad, will be unchanged. And in terms of their sex drive and the libido, will be unchanged. 
And, uh, you know, when you look at the testicle, it's kind of amazing because it, it actually acts as two different organs in one testicle. One is that it makes the sperm, and the sperm goes through these little tubes through the vas deferens that obviously carry the sperm out. It also creates testosterone, but they're made by two different cell lines, and the hormone that's made, which is testosterone, goes directly into the bloodstream. It doesn't travel through this tube. And so they're completely controlled by the brain by two different sets of hormones independent of each other. And Mm -hmm. so one doesn't affect the other. And so... When we do the procedure, we always tell everybody, again, we're just shutting off the plumbing, your erections, sex drive, everything else will remain unchanged. And, you know, once you reassure me that, they're pretty comfortable with it. The other question we get a lot is, you know, will this lead to increased risk of cancer, testicle cancer, prostate cancer? And there's really been no studies. There's actually been one study that came out uh, many years ago that showed possibly increased risk of prostate cancer. Another one recently showed that possibly it might have increased prostate cancer. But if you look at the American Urological Association, the AUA guidelines, we still tell our patients that there is no increased risk of having cancer, whether it's the prostate or testicle cancer, by having the procedure. And it's still a fairly good form of contraception for men if they decided to choose it. Gotcha. I was, and what about the pain factor? I was reading somewhere that when a man got a particular vasectomy, he said that it was similar to being getting getting over getting kicked in the groin. And of course, no guy wants to be kicked in the groin. Is it that painful? No, it's not that bad. And you know, I uh, when I do the procedure, I do probably ninety eight, ninety nine percent of them in the office setting. Uh, if the patient is really, really nervous or anxious, then I'll do it in the hospital with some sedation because we don't sedate in the office. Most urologists do not sedate in the office. And uh, when we do the procedure, it's just done under a local. Uh, I do what's called a no-scalpel vasectomy. So we make just a small puncture scan, but we don't use any knives. We don't cut through the muscle of the scrotum, so the recovery is much less. Bleeding is much less. Pain is fairly minimal. When we're done with the procedure... I send patients home with just regular Tylenol over-the-counter. I never, ever prescribe anything other than Tylenol over-the-counter. And I may have had literally just a handful of calls uh, throughout the last 21 years saying, you know, the pain is just so bad I need something. Now, the reason I don't is because the pain is not that bad, and Tylenol is usually all they need, and that's it. They walk around. uh, They can have a regular diet. If the pain is much more severe than that, then I tell them I need to know about it. Because at that point, it's one of two things, either... Something's gone wrong, or they have a very low threshold for pain where they just need more, more medication. Mm-hmm. If, and I want to be sure that it's not the former. If it is a problem of where there's something wrong and they just take, you know, codeine and, and Norco and medicines to control the pain and something is wrong, they think it's normal, and then eventually I'm going to get a call three to five days later when they're really sick, which I don't want. So right. I always tell them that you take Tylenol. Uh, I prefer not to take Motrin for about a couple days due to bleeding, so you just take the Tylenol. If your pain is out of control, you call me. Now, if they call me, I talk to them on the phone, and I get a sense if it's a problem or if they're just being really, really uh, uncomfortable from from the pain because they just have a low threshold. If they say everything looks fine, I feel fine, I just can't take the pain or it's real uncomfortable, I have no problem giving them pain medications. I'll give them some narcotics. Uh, And if it sounds like it's something serious, then I obviously want to see them. Uh, Fortunately, it's never been anything serious, but... My main rationale is, is because, one, they don't really need the pain, and, two, if there's a problem, I need to know about it rather than masking, masking the problem. But it is not as bad as getting kicked in the groin. That's good to hear. So for, from the time of the procedure till the time that the guy is able to get back in the saddle with his woman, how much time is that? Oh, well, usually I tell about five days or so. Some people days. wait about seven days. Yeah, usually I wait about five days. Now, it's important to know that once we do the procedure, that they still are fertile. And they're still fertile because when we make the cut and laser and burn the ends of the tubes, the other side of the tube that carries the sperm out still has sperm in it, obviously. So the sperm from the testicle can't get out, but there's already sperm in that tube. And it generally takes about 20 ejaculations for all that sperm to come out. And so I, uh, what we do now is we always recommend a sperm analysis or a semen analysis. After the procedure, I tell them, wait about 20 ejaculations, either through sexual activity or masturbation. Once you've hit around 20 to 25 ejaculations, and that I've had guys cleared in three weeks. I've had guys, guys cleared in <laughs> six to nine months, literally. And so you get 20 ejaculations. Here's your lap slip. You drop it off, and then we'll talk on the phone. And then I usually check. Uh, I usually check another one. Not always. I'll do one more for confirmatory. So I get two of them, 
once both of those show no sperm, then you're done. But until I tell them, they're considered to be uh, fertile until we make sure there's no more sperm. The other issue is, is that I've seen some guys, too, where when they ejaculate, the contractions of the vas deferens to shoot out the sperm is very weak. And so you can do 20, 30 ejaculations, but it's expelling it at such a low rate, they still retain sperm. And I've had guys where it took them up to a year before they were negative, and they thought, you know, the procedure wasn't done right, but the biopsy was run, done right, everything looked great. I said, no, you just, it's just going to take you longer. And sure enough, after a year, it, uh, it went away, and that was it. Wow. But we do need I, these permanent. I, I, I like the, the two-step procedure with the lab slip because, you know, I'm sure some guys out there just want to lie and say, oh, yeah, it's 21 days, I got it done. And meanwhile, they have not gotten it done. So you're yeah. still at risk for getting her pregnant, you know, until you get the final sign-off that, okay, the sperm count is such to where you're not going to get her pregnant. Absolutely. You know, this is a very, very intense area of lawsuits for urologists. Um, you know, somebody ends up getting pregnant and they get pregnant because you didn't do the procedure right, but you thought you did, that's a problem. That's a big problem. Now, if somebody gets pregnant but you did everything correctly, then you're covered because you did everything correctly, and that's just what happens. The failure rate for a vasectomy is about 1 in 10,000. It's fairly small. Um, the failure rate, by the way, for women to get a tubal ligation is probably about 1 in 1,000. It's much, much worse because they basically wow. are clipping, not cutting. So it's much more effective for a man to get it. But... If you, don't, if you don't do all your due diligence and they end up having a kid, that's going to be a big problem. That's a big source of liability. So this is, you know, vasectomies make a lot of doctors, urologists nervous because of the potential for lawsuits. It is a very high-intense area for lawsuits. But as long as you do everything what you should, what you should be doing in terms of checking the semen analysis, the biopsy report, checking up to make sure that he's ejaculating when he should be, you're covered. It's usually never been a problem. Awesome. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. You're on with my guest, Dr. Corsandi. He's a urologist here in downtown Los Angeles, and he'll be happy to answer your questions on vasectomies. Call us at 888-909-1050, 888 um, Dr. Corsandi, I want to uh, talk to you about some of the up-and-coming technology. I hear that um, this product called Vasilgel, which is a gel polymer, is supposed to uh, break onto the scene next year in 2016. It is supposedly an injectable barrier through the tube that carries the sperm, which is the vas deferens, and instead of snipping it like a vasectomy would do, snipping the tube, it's like putting super glue on the opening, um, if you would. So what do you know about Vasilgel, and um, do, do you look forward to its coming? Do you think it's going to be a good good option for men, men to use? Um, it's, a, it's a temporary vasectomy, shall we say. Well, yes, it can be temporary. So it's not on the market. Uh, it probably won't be out for several years. And it hasn't even undergone clinical trials. I think it's starting this year or next year because uh, mm -hmm. it's still undergoing the approval status. But what it is is it's a polymer that's injected right into the vas deferens. That is the tube that carries out the sperm from the testicle out when you ejaculate. So what it is is you basically is you, instead of cutting the vas deferens, you inject this medication, the polymer, right into the vas deferens. And basically, it's going to just block all the, the, the outflow tracts so the sperm cannot get out. Now, the beauty of this and what they're going to probably uh, market this is as is that it can be reversible. And so basically, you put in this polymer, it's like a glue, but it's not a permanent glue. And it stays in there to block the sperm. If the man decides to change his mind or if he knows, you know what, I just don't want a kid for five years or three years, he injects himself. And then when he's ready to have a kid, he would get another injection to help dissolve the polymer and then open up the tube again. And so it would be uh, more of a temporary measure, if, want, if wanted, versus a permanent, because there's no cutting. Right. Um, it does make sense. You know, there's nothing temporary on the market for men. There are obviously the, the pills for women, but nothing for men. For men, they looked at other things. They looked at hormones, actually, and uh, nothing's really panned out to make it to the point where we could say, you know what, it's a very good contraceptive. We can actually lower your sperm count with certain medications that we use for cancers and other things, but it's not really for contraception because you're still going to be putting out a lot of sperm. So this right. would be the first thing, the first uh, trial coming out to look to see if there's something we can do in terms of uh, making it reversible. 
But again, the clinical trials are starting uh, this year or next year. It still has to undergo clinical trials. That's going to take a few years to see the results, to see if it's even efficacious. So this won't hit the market for, for a while. I gotcha. think that if it, if it works out great, I think this would be a great thing because there's a lot of guys who love to have temporary, uh, like a temporary vasectomy if they could uh, because, you know, you're 20, 25 in school, et cetera, or you're just going through a, a you know, divorce or whatever. It's perfect for them. So I'm very interested to see if it's going to pan out. You know, I'm a little skeptical because, you know, they studied this initially in rabbits, and the rabbit data looked okay, but it was just rabbits. And they looked at uh, 12 months of rabbits, I believe, and they're looking at primates, but that's, that, those results are not out, I think, with monkeys and chimpanzees. So the, the problem is that when we look at the vast deference, it is extremely small. The tube is probably like a like a small piece of spaghetti, a regular strand of spaghetti, and it kind of feels hard like it. But the interior of the tube is microscopic. So if you cut the vast deference and look at it head on, you cannot, with the naked eye, you can almost not even see the center of it. It's so small. And so when you're dealing with a structure that small, when you inject anything into it, it's really, really easy to develop scar tissue or inflammation that's going to close off the tube that would make it permanent. So that's the only thing I would say is anytime you mess with a vast deferens, it's got a very high propensity for closing off on its own, especially when you're putting in a polymer or gel. Unless that polymer is extremely inert, it's going to cause some kind of reaction. So my guess is that it could end up being permanent in some patients, not entirely uh, reversible. But I'm sure when they consent, patients are going to tell them that, yes, you may be permanently sterilized as part of this. Right, as part of the complications, right. Right. So... Um from what I hear, it's been it has been tested in clinical trials in India for over twenty years. Yes, has that evidence like not come into our FDA's hands, or you know, of course, you know, our government wants to do, to do their own cl- clinical trials. I'm sure, but you know, I'm sure they're taking some of that, uh, c- some of those case studies under consideration. Yes, you are right. It's actually been in India for a while. Uh, they've done clinical trials, but it's under a different name than uh, vasogel. But we've not had any of that data coming over here. Uh, the U.S. and the FDA have not uh, looked at their data. I think they're going to look at our data over here first. Now, I'm not sure why. Maybe they don't have enough men that they can actually make a decision on it or because the polymer is a little bit different. Um, the polymer in India and the polymer that we're using here is a little bit different. So that may be... That may be something that's that may be a little of a, of a problem because you can't you can't uh, just take the data from there and extrapolate to us if the medicine is not the same. And so I haven't seen their data uh, come out in the U.S. studies at all. So as far as I know, they're starting out over here with U.S. trials to see uh, what their data is before they even look at the U- uh, India data. Got it. And how long would you say this procedure would last? In other words, let's say you are working on a home improvement project and you spill a little super glue on your hand. Usually within a day or two, it washes off in the shower. So this gel, what, what's the, the length of this? What's the duration of it? We don't know. We have no idea. Oh, wow. Right now, we're So we have no idea it. if it's like four weeks or a year? No. Or we have no idea, huh? No. I think right now they're going to be marketing it from month to year. So now, what's months? Two, three, four months? You know, the company hasn't really said. I don't think they even know, to be honest, because it'll take a while to see when the sperm can actually get blocked and when it all can reopen again. So I don't think they even know. But the way it's going to be marketed based on their literature is they're going to market from months to years. And how many years? I see they don't even know. They're going to look at some of the Indian data, but again, the polymer's different in their studies than the ones from here, so you can't really extrapolate. So they just have to go through clinical trials, and the good thing about the clinical trials is they start enrolling patients in. It's constantly changing. So they may say, you know what, this is good for like three months to like two years, but they may find, you know what, after one month, these guys have been uh, been sterile, so maybe we're going to bump it up to one month. Or, you know what, it took six months, and they will change it. So it's going to be ongoing and changing depending on what the clinical trials show. So how do they test that out? They do a lab slip just like you're giving your post-op exactly. uh, mails? Yeah. They're, they're exactly. Like once they're a month, gonna... here's a lab slip, let's see what the sperm count is? Is that how they exactly. would test it? Exactly. That's the only way to know it. Because hormonal studies, blood t- studies will not tell you anything. So they're a complete waste. Uh, assuming they were normal beforehand with the hormonal studies. But they're mm-hmm. st- essentially going to get a, a semen analysis. Now, they may want to check it every two weeks, four weeks. That depends on the clinical protocol and the FDA studies, how they want to set it up. 
but that's exactly what they're going to do. My guess is that they're going to probably set it up fairly frequent because it's a clinical trial. They want to see at one point you become negative. So instead of checking every month or two months, they're probably going to check it every week. And the reason we'll probably do it so frequently is because they can say, oh, between three, week three and four, we saw a big decrease, or between you know, week seven and eight, we saw a decrease. But if you come in too infrequently, like every four weeks or six weeks, a lot can happen during that time. So you can come in, let's say, four weeks, and you check it again at eight weeks and be negative. You don't know during between weeks five and eight when they become negative. So the pinpointed, I'm sure they're going to do very frequent semen analysis on these patients and see when there's a common thread that most of them became sterile at week five or week ten or three months or whatever it is and try and pull a minimum time that you, know, that you can extrapolate to you know, most people where they feel comfortable that everybody at this point was negative. Right, and everybody's sexual activity is so different, too. You know, one person might be very sexually active, and the next person not so much. So I'm sure that enters into it as well. Yeah, but they're going to they're gonna count for that, though. So, you know, I do a lot of clinical trials in my office, too. All those questions you bring up, like this one here, they've already thought about that. So they're going to be in the protocol, and the patients have to generally consent to this, saying, okay, you need to ejaculate twice a week. Uh, by sex or masturbation to be in the study. And if they're not willing to do whatever the protocol says, then they're out. So it's going to be very tightly controlled because otherwise you couldn't extrapolate it. If you had sex six times a week and I had sex once a month, of course the data is going to be skewed. It's going to be way off. So they need to keep it standardized so everybody's going to be the same. Now, of course, with any clinical trial, patients can lie. That's going to throw off the data. Hopefully they don't because then it would mess up the data even if it's good. But everybody will be ran or standardized to how they're supposed to do what they're supposed to do after the procedure. Right. All right, changing gears from this topic, um, you know, try to, they have tried to do a male counterpart to the pill, which is the female contraceptive, but unfortunately they were not too successful with that. It caused birth defects in a child that actually did get born. Um, you know, because it's altering uh, the, the man's hormones, there are all kinds of complications associated with a hormone-based uh, contraceptive. So what I'm hearing now is they have this new product out called um, a male birth control in a lotion. You apply it just like you would, you know, hand lotion or something, and it has no hormone altering properties to it whatsoever. Um, have you heard about this? And again, it works the same way as Vasil gel in that it works like a coffee filter. You still ejaculate, you still, all your parts or all the plumbing is still working, and what it's doing is it's, um, this lotion creates some sort of coating that will, um, I, I guess, make the sperm not be able to swim further or not, you know, not be able to populate the woman. No, that one I don't. Uh, I don't know too much about that one. They did try to look into uh, the pills, like you said, but mm -hmm. the pills there was too many side effects. It was not effective. It really didn't uh, keep the sperm counts low, and so that that was a big bomb. In fact, the Chinese had a nice study coming out to look at that, <laughs> and that bomb big time. That just did not work at all. So yeah. the the lotions and creams. There was another lotion that came out many years ago that also was not effective. But then also was trying to look at, uh, at uh, seeing if you can actually lower your sperm count by, by using that. This new lotion thing that you've been using, I don't know much about it. I think there was a study that came out that showed that you don't have a complete, complete absence of sperm, but this lotion here can be reversible, and it only lowered your sperm count uh, by to about 90%. You were not 100% cleared. And so it lowered it, and you had a low sperm count, but it doesn't mean that you were going to be negative on it. So it's a way to make your chances much less. It is reversible, but it didn't make it to the point where you had a zero sperm count. Gotcha. So for those patients who are not going to get a vasectomy, give, give us old school, tried and true ways that actually do work. I know a lot of uh, young men are under the misconception that, oh, if I just pull out, that's good enough. So tell us what are the tried and true, uh, you know, uh, options that men have today for contraception. Well, you know, the, the pull-out method really doesn't work. It does work a little bit. I mean, it'll lower your chances, but it's, it's, it's still the rates are still very, very high. And that's because you still leak a little bit of some semen during, during the activity. And, you know, you can, you can leak out millions of sperm in just a few little drops in there. So the pull-out method really doesn't work. 
if they want to do the pull-out method, then they have to really coincide that with the, with the woman's period. And, you know, at the time of ovulation, you know, usually about three days before and three days after, that's the time we, when a woman gets pregnant, they really should refrain from having sex at that point, or they got to use a condom. You know, condoms are still the best way to go as long as it's intact and use it correctly. That's probably the best way to go. Uh, the pull-out method is not nearly as good as the condom. It can help a little bit. Uh, but the problem is, is that it has to be timed with the cycle, and when she's ovulating, you cannot. This is KCAA Loma Linda, the station that leaves no listener behind. CNBC News. Oil prices plunging again today, closing below $41 a barrel, a 